0: Hello and welcome to the Sportscope podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me as always is the clever Reuben Williams. How are you today, mate? That's very generous of you, Ryan. Thank you for that. Usually they're a bit more pointed, but uh, I'll, I'll take clever. I just thought, you know, you're a pretty clever guy and thought I'd pump you pump your tires up a bit tonight so um anyway um you are you are looking extraordinarily handsome tonight thank I you know. thank you i actually you looked got, like you got, a caveman not long ago um I reckon you, got, you got a haircut for lockdown looks like no i'm I actually i need one horribly badly um i'm not sure if hopefully no one's watching this but yeah it needs to be cut but we're in lockdown and you know I think uh, a hairdresser's open, essentially. Oh, I, can't, I can't keep up these days. But. Yeah, I can't keep up either. <laughs> um, anyway, Rubes, random topic, uni. How did you used to get to uni? Uh,
1: well, I was, I was very lucky. I uh, lived about five to 10-minute bike ride away from Deakin University in, in yeah. Burwood in, in Melbourne. So, I would roll out of bed at 8.50, jump on my bike and be in the classroom by 9.05 for a 9 yeah, o'clock good. lecture. <laughs>
0: Good for your first couple of years. Um, well, I,
1: actually, I changed university. So, I used to catch a train into the city to go to RMIT and I would be on time for that. But right. then when university got closer to my house and I moved to Deakin, even though it was only a 10-minute ride away, I'd still find a
0: way to be late. <laughs> yeah. And you knew that every single course that you did was actually back to our industry experts. So, obviously, that's why you switched over. Um, so, exactly. I guess you're you fairly confident that you're going to get the job that you wanted to, which turned out uh, pretty well for you. So, um, Well, I, I wouldn't have met you if I didn't get the job that I want with no, uh, that degree, employers exactly. want. Exactly. So, great call uh, getting on the bike and making that switch. Um, we've rambled here. Um, so, firstly, thank you for listening. Let's get cracking on this one. Firstly, if anyone wants to chat online with us around the podcast and what we're doing, any of the guests we've had on, um, just hit us up on LinkedIn. We're, we're here to chat. We want to hear from you all. So, Flick us a message. Jump into the LinkedIn DMs, whatever you need to do. Huge time of sport at the moment, Rubes. Olympics is on. Like, have been waiting for this for years. I can't even remember the last Olympics, but I I love this Reading time. 16. Yeah, I yeah, sixteen. Yeah. It seems so far away, but we're finally here. I feel like this one is what, just What were you doing in in two thousand and sixteen? Two thousand and sixteen. I was working at Revo Sports and I was working for Dollar Shave Club. And I reckon I would have been planning almost to come over to Melbourne at some point. Mm. So great times. One of the great organizations, Revo Sports and Dollar Shave Club, one of the fantastic mm. organisations um tonight we've got bianca hunt on board which is a huge guest we had a fantastic chat with her what what are some things that stood out for you well just a vast range of different experiences right like
1: she has had a career that's spent a number of different industries in a number of different roles and she's only 25 years old like she's worked at commonwealth bank she's worked at SBS, Special Broadcasting System uh, Service, (laughs) pardon me. (laughs) She's worked at the AFL and she's also co-started AIM, which is another Indigenous engagement organisation. And now she's just started Agent Black, her own agency as well. So, she's done a number of different things. But one of the things that stood out for me is why on earth did she leave her job at the AFL? Like. The whole purpose of this podcast is so people can get into places like the AFL and she's packed up after eight months. Now, she's got her reasons which she explains which are absolutely Mm. valid but she's a great person to learn about when is the right time to make a
0: career change and how to do it. Yeah, I love how this is all around getting your your dream job and sworn, and we're advocating for the, you know, people who leave these jobs so... No, I agree. It is great to hear how she actually decided to leave that. Um, and that kind of gets to my, you know, main thing that stood out for me was, you know, she spoke a lot about how she knew, you know, when to move on from different organizations. Like she, as you said, she's got a vast amount of experience, but there's certain things that stood out to her that sort of made her think, hmm, it might be time or there's triggers mm. that were pulled that, that gave her that instinct to to move on. So... All very interesting. Uh, Bianca is an absolute ripper. So enjoy this chat with Bianca and make sure you grab a pen because there's plenty to note down. Bianca, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Bianca, this
1: podcast is built on how to get a job in sport. However, we want to kick this off a little bit differently tonight because. What stood out to me last time we spoke was your ability to know when it's the right time to move on from a job and to say, you know, thank you very much and leave and take on the next thing. So, I was wondering if you could start by talking about some of your professional experience and if you have a favorite resignation from those experiences. (laughs)
2: yeah cool uh so I suppose I've worked what
0: opening question can I just say yeah absolute riffer
2: I can't get in trouble from this yeah so
0: (laughs) the floor's Um, yours
2: uh no it's a it's definitely a great question it's a difficult one um but in saying that I suppose across my short period of time like I've been working I think now officially for 10 years uh which is a weird one because I'm only 25 And starting my career, like I was, you know, working at KFC in hospitality. I was AFL umpiring. That was kind of my start to what it was like to work. And prior to that, I was doing a lot of like community work and just volunteering and being out and about doing that sort of stuff. And I suppose as it progressed and as I got older, when I was in school, I had done a traineeship. So I was working for ComBank at the time. I was a teller working in the banking world. I had no clue what happened in banks other than they give you money and you put money in there. And I uh, probably didn't have the best interview with the manager, I can guarantee, because I didn't do my research. And I was just like, what am I? I don't know what I'm meant to do. It kind of <laughs> scared me. You know, like I was just like, You're, you just asked me what a bank does. Like, obviously, you just come in here, you get money and then you leave. Like, that's it. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was a really interesting one. So, I took a day off Uh, in my year 11 and 12 every week to go in and work there whilst I was also working for KFC, whilst I was studying uh, for school as well. So I kind of just did a bit of that. Then I did a bit of kind of youth parliament sort of stuff. So I really wanted to diversify my skill set from a young age. And I think that was very much from seeing my parents. They were both young parents, but dad was the first in our family to go to university. So I always had that ambition to go to uni, just didn't know how I would get there because I wasn't really academically inclined. At the time, I felt like school was really difficult and I didn't have a lot of people around me that believed in me other than my family. And that's important to have your family backing you because there's other, you know, people that have the opposite where they have external people and then the family not backing them. And, you know, so it was a really unique, I guess, experience. And then post that, when I went to study, I did Business management and Crave Industries entertainment, so very different sort of world. Uh, while I was studying, I started my footy career and playing women's footy, which uh, and when I say footy, AFL because everyone wants to be technical on that, but I've always known it as footy. So played AFL for about five years, and during that time, I was working again in corporate Australia, working for Combank as an intern, and then moved into non profit. So I kind of had a bit of a mix across the industries and then kind of found this mix of my skill set when I came into media. So I started working for SBS and I was working in their corporate affairs team and that was more my business side because I was good at the business stuff and I pushed all of my creativity aside for so long that it was really difficult to come into it. And then when I broke the industry, I suppose I kind of, people saw a bit of a spark in me and thought, should hey, she be good on a screen and it's almost been two years to the date that I actually made my debut on television as a co-host. I didn't know what I was doing really. I had a personality and apparently you can't train that. So <laughs> it made sense for me to come in all the other skills when it comes to being on a screen or, you know, being behind a desk as in a radio. It really comes down to your personality and then you can teach that skill set, right? But I've always been in the sporting kind of space in the sense that my family are very sport inclined ever since we were little we'd always be going to dad's footy games my brother's footy games uh we had a very good history in sports in our background but I actually didn't like being in sports uh I wasn't a sporty gal growing up I was a short I'm only five foot, so I was a short girl, a bit bigger as well. So it took me a while to actually be comfortable in my own skin, for one, to get out onto a field, let alone to actually trust myself that I could be a sporty kid as well. Uh, And it was also a really weird one because the stigma, I suppose, and stereotype of First Nations people is that we're sporty. And for me, not having that background, it was a bit of a weird complex that I think I had on myself. And obviously, knowing that our people can do everything and anything, and that's important that we are in different spaces. But when the opportunity, I guess, came to be in Yokai, that had come from the fact that I'd played sport. I had grown up with it for a long period of time. I knew how to dissect conversations and interview people and do all that sort of stuff. But that was my first introduction into actually co-hosting a footy show. So... Bit of a mix, and I've kind of answered some of the stuff that you've mentioned, but in terms of my favourite resignation, I don't think I can necessarily say where. However, my favourite kind of, I guess, I had someone that was, I will say a supervisor, mentioned to me that I wasn't allowed to interview a guest uh, that we had for this like kind of show series thingy uh, that we would have literally just been putting up on our website because I didn't have the personality for television, and that was like not even that was probably six months before I made my, <laughs> before I made my debut on television. Uh, so I found that quite interesting because when I was resigning to say, "Hey, I'm actually going to work for a broadcaster," uh, that was probably <laughs> my favorite. Resignation, I think, and then there was another one as well where I think the CEO kind of got a sniff that I was leaving, even though I had nothing really to do with that person. They had come around to my area and been like, "Is Bianca leaving? Like, why? Why is she leaving? What? What, what can we do to keep her?" And yeah, I guess that's a bit of my journey. I don't know if that's uh, answering a lot of it.
1: No, that's that's fantastic. I, I want to ask one question just on yeah, uh, you know, you said you can't teach personality and one of the things that we advocate for is putting your personality on paper in a, in a job interview so that you can actually stand out amongst a you know sheet of resumes or a whole thing of resumes i was wondering if there's do, does anything come to mind where your personality was like clearly present on a cover letter or on a resume or in an interview when like when was the Bianca flag, like sticking heavily out of one of your applications?
2: Yeah, uh, actually, I had something really, really recent. So I just launched a company and I know we're probably going to discuss it as well, but called Agent Black. And it was really funny because I was sitting down and I was writing this media release and I was like, okay, let's look at all the examples of media releases. And, you know, obviously having worked for a broadcaster and in media, you see the media releases, but I had never written one before. I had had ones written about me, but just like never sat down to actually write it. Anyway, so I started writing it and was like, this is this sounds like what I meant to put in here the do like, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how. And I had gotten someone who was also in media to have a quick look over it. And they were like, oh, just is this, is this it? And I was like, oh, okay. And then, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I was like, okay, that's Uh. clearly bad. And then they were like, can you just maybe just add a little bit more personality, like make it a little bit more personal. I was like, okay, no worries. And then like, I went back to my laptop and just like touched up this thing. Anyways, he comes back and was like, oh, you completely changed it. And the headline was, I couldn't find an agent, so I became one. And (laughs) I don't know, based off experience... When you get people's media releases, a lot of the time, it's just like something really stagnant, a bit boring, whatever, whereas mine had to be a headline, and I put that in the subject, and it got a lot of attention. It got attention from all different places, uh, and it was very direct. It was straight to the point, but I'm also like, well, here, I'm here to disrupt this industry, so why not actually lead with that? And uh, it worked, so yeah.
0: (laughs) How good. Love it destruct the industry. What a, what a statement. I love that. Um, Bianca, you just mentioned Agent Black. Tell us a bit about it. And plus, how have these sort of past experiences that you just mentioned um, help you realize that this is what you really want to be doing?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because when I was studying, uh, like I was a performer back in the, like when I was younger, I loved performing, loved doing all of that sort of stuff. And then I got to a point where I was like, I'm not trained. I can't, you know, and just limiting myself. And so I thought, Well, if I can't be on that stage, I want to provide a platform and a stage for others. Weirdly enough, I happen to be the person on the stage because if you can't see it, you can't be it. There wasn't a lot of First Nations people on our screens. There still isn't. I think there's only like one, two percent that's across the country, you know, uh, and we're quite a small group of people. And we need more of us. And the only way that we're going to get more of us is by having more of us present and seen and in different spaces across media is really important but I guess what had happened was because of my experience of being in front of the screen also behind the screen because I did a lot of stuff behind the scenes like with production understanding what producers do what directors do you know script writers all of that sort of stuff is what I studied but i actually didn't know what it looked like in practice and so once i've seen that i'm like hey like these are actually really valuable lessons to have learned and i've had essentially the privilege to be in these spaces to learn this firsthand why can't i provide that to others uh, a big thing is you know i know i've been very underpaid under like under uh, disrespected at times as well and it's just that sort of thing where People can push the whole, you're only this age or you're this or whatever that is, and they're putting those limiting beliefs on you, but it's up to you to not actually believe in that. If you trust and believe yourself enough, you should be able to get into those spaces. Uh, It's not going to be easy. Like I'm not going to say it's been an easy path for me, but the more that I've trusted myself and backed myself, the more I've been able to be in those spaces. So pretty much in the last year since I left Yokai, uh, I kind of was freelancing and wanting to do my own thing and because of my prior experience working for other places and having to come up against ageism racism sexism you know and learning the same things over and over again I kind of was just like hey there's going to be a lot of other mob that are feeling this you know a lot of other people that are feeling undervalued they've got a lot of talent underpaid how can I support that? by using my background and kind of piecing that together and bringing this to fruition. And also because a lot of opportunities come my way, it's not just me that should be getting those opportunities. I I think there's so many talented people out there that I wanted to bring them along with me as well. So now I can actually provide that platform and space for our people to be seen, be heard. Uh, The talent that I have on, we've only got six So far, uh, and that's just the beginning. But we're all from diverse, you know, industries. We all are from different parts of the country, and we also all have different social following, which is an important one. So a lot of the talent people would have seen being like, oh, they might not have a massive profile, or the things that have become of value as of the last two years in terms of influences and having a so like, you know, social media following and all of that sort of stuff, not always correlates to your actual talent. And So we're trying to find that medium where it's like, okay, we've got the people that have that social following. We've got the people that have the talent and skills, expertise in the background. How do we bring those together and actually provide that in a safe way for our talent to feel like they can engage with mainstream media and people, but also for mainstream media and organizations and corporations to be able to come to us and say, hey, we're looking for someone with X, Y, and Z, and we can actually partner them up with the right people.
1: Bianca, from all those different experiences that you've had, it seems like you've you've learnt what you needed to, what's been able to, you know, taking things from each of those that have been able to help you go to the next one and the next one to the point where you're now running your own business, which has got this collection of skills from your previous experiences. What sort of feelings start to emerge when you start to feel like it's time to move on to the next thing?
2: Uh I mean, from my personal experience, a lot of the time, the emotions are, I just feel exhausted. Like I will get to a point where I've gotten so worked up that I'm just like, and this, and granted, I've learned how to deal with it a lot healthier now. uh, But when I didn't know how to deal with it, like I would run myself absolutely ragged and I would, you know, get to the point where I'm like in bed for three days straight and I just can't do anything. And that's obviously not healthy uh, but it took me about three or four times for that to occur in order for me to be like okay something's not okay and on top of that it's like I don't know when I would be in like the office or in certain conversations and coming back and just like reflecting I'm like hey didn't I learn this somewhere else like wasn't this the same lesson from the last workplace like aren't I aren't I repeating the same mistakes now and learning the same lessons? Like, does it need to be this difficult to move on and to learn from this and accept it as a lesson and not something that I need to challenge or like keep forcing anymore? Like maybe I actually need to choose a different path. And I suppose it's really difficult because if you're really passionate about something, you really want something, you can fight for it and you'll get it. And that's what I've done, you know, like one of the jobs that I had, I applied three times, you know, each year because the role would become vacant each year. So on purpose, it was a development project. And I applied three years before I got the actual job because I knew I wanted it. I knew I would be good for it. And at some point I would get it. And I think that's the stubbornness from me, but also knowing that, I don't know, if you work hard enough, you'll get something, but it's also that sort of thing where I also believe now a lot more in self preservation and that it's not just enough to have a job. I know the real. It was very difficult uh, making the decision to leave Melbourne because that ultimately was choosing my decision to leave Yokai Footy, and part of me it. It hurt a lot because I knew how much time I had invested into it, you know, the following that we were able to get for the show that, you know, they have now and it's amazing to see and all of those sort of things that I suppose I learned from last year, the people that I got to meet, the players I got to interview were literal things where I was sitting there and I'm like, like I remember my first interview that I ever did for Yokai was with Eddie Betts and I just remember being like, you're someone I watched growing up like play and like the, the fact that I got to sit there on a screen watching him and him being like, being like, Hey B like, what are you serious? Like he's giving me nicknames and that sort of stuff. And just being able to engage in this space that was so like, it felt like I was watching myself from above. It's just like, this is a different world. This is stuff that you would dream of being a part of. And now you're doing it. And And it was a dream being on that show and it was a dream job, you know, and all of the things in between. But at the same time, I was sacrificing a lot, you know, sacrificing not having my family. I was sacrificing not having friends. I was sacrificing a lot of relationships during that period of time. And just also like I am a Queenslander, you know, I love heat, you know, being in the cold was also a sacrifice, not being able to do a lot of things. And I know, granted, I'd moved in the middle of a pandemic and all of those sort of things. So my, my experience wouldn't be similar to most who would have moved there. But at the same time, yeah, when I made that decision to leave, it was just that sort of thing where I'm like, you know what, I believe I've done enough to put my, you know, my stamp in this space to get out in the sporting world, get into the media world. And I've also provided a space for another woman to come in and, absolutely you know crush it in the space as well and i think that's important so not only being able to open the door but also to leave it open for more to come through is like my most important thing so when i go into jobs and i go into these different experiences if something is is no longer for me or it's not teaching me anything i'm an avid learner if i'm not learning I, it's not a matter of me giving up. It's just I've got to go. Like
1: <laughs> <it's, Yep. laughs> I'm, I'm
2: done, you know, that's just how my personality has always been, I suppose, yeah.
1: I think it's like a very courageous thing to do because particularly with your last role with, with Yokai Footy working under the AFL, like mm-hmm. it would be hard for a lot of people to leave an mm-hmm. organisation like that. Like a lot of people look at the AFL, Cricket Australia, International Olympic Committee, whatever Mm -hmm. organization you want to pick and put them up in bright lights and think, once I get in there, I'm never going anywhere. Yeah. So, for you to realize what's important to you and actually pull the trigger on on those determining factors, I think takes a lot of courage to um, to follow through on.
2: Yeah. It's like I still remember the first day I walked into the AFL house for my interview, like it was yesterday, and I was like literally pinching myself being like, how on earth did I get here and why am I not being, like, not let in? Like, someone <laughs> should be here. There should be a security guard being, like, am I allowed to be in here. What is happening? And it was just, like, the most weird in- experience. And also because I had negative experiences in other organizations where – people wouldn't say hello or they would just be like very a bit passive. And I'm walking through there and everyone's like, hey. And I'm like, I don't know who you are, but hey, back. Like, And <laughs> it was just a different environment, you know, and it was just a really nice, I suppose, difference. And knowing that I was going to be a part of another point in history where, you know, this was the first show from a, an Indigenous lens that was collaborating with the AFL, that's massive, you know. And... And it is that sort of thing where I'm like, I genuinely thought I would be there for like a decent amount of time. Like I would have loved to have stayed on the show. and, And that is the hardest one when you know that you're walking into a dream and that there are so many other people that would love to be in that position. I suppose my biggest one is that I didn't take that lightly. And I know there was people that were older than me in the space and they were like, look, I would have like... I would have killed for an opportunity like that at 23 for you to do that. And, and you're choosing to leave like really. And in reality, like I'm not sacrificing my mental health anymore for anything. And I think that's a very important thing for our, for young people to understand that it is important to speak up. It is important to, you know, talk to people and to say, Hey, I'm actually not okay. And I need this time. And at the end of the day, it's, as much as it's a tough reality, a job is a job. And you also need to look at yourself as a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like those places that are engaging you, they have that privilege of having you in there as well. And it's not a level of being cocky. It's about knowing yourself enough and knowing your self-worth and how important it is to just be here and present more than just being like, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice everything else for this job. So, I don't know. That's where I'm at in my my journey at my point in time in my life, uh, which is probably somewhere where a lot of older people tend to be at. But I'm happy with just doing me now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome. I think um, I like in our circle of friends at Cricket Australia, we'd be like, okay, who's going to be who's still going to be here in 15 years time? And people would just point the finger at me and so i don't, i don 't think 't <laughs> think i could be i don 't think I could have left Cricket Australia to be doing sports grad now like I think I needed the rug to be pulled out from underneath me because i 've kind of felt attached to the organization too much yeah. so I like have a massive amount of respect for what you 've done because because i can can see the benefits now in in doing my own thing and enjoying sports grad and um, can see how much you 're enjoying what you 're doing too and so Yeah, I think the more people can realise what they actually need from their work and professional life and the more they can have that conviction to follow through on it, the better.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, I reckon people now across their career probably have maybe one or two big decisions that they have to make in terms of changing the trajectory of what their career is going to end up being. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've already sort of put up your hand to – to make several of those decisions, like you don't just have one or two, you've had a few. Yeah. What what sort of process do you go through to make sure that you, you're able to make those really tough decisions and tough
2: calls? Yeah. People probably think I'm really unstable at this point, right? Um, <laughs> I
0: was like,
2: oh, what have I done? Um, yeah, it, it's weird because I feel like I've had like 10 career changes in like my lifetime already which is really weird because from a young kid wanting to be literally a music teacher I was a musician for many years playing bass and then being like actually I'm gonna let a teacher dictate my future and because they didn't like me I decided to not do music anymore and like that's a really unfortunate thing and and I decided after that instance with that teacher that I would never allow someone to make those decisions for me again but then I suppose the one of the biggest ones that I've had to make the decision on was when I was graduating high school and um, I had two opportunities. I had an opportunity to go to performing arts school, which would have been to do dance, music, acting. And the other opportunity was to go to university. And I had been accepted into both of them within a two day span And because I had been accepted into uni first, I was like, oh, okay. And I thought I wasn't accepted into the performing arts school because some of my mates had been. And I was like, oh, cool. I didn't get in. That made my choice really easy. And then got into uni and then the next day got told that I was, you know, in the performing arts school. And that was a big decision for me to make because it was like, am I going to be a performing artist for the rest of my life? And, you know, be this really cool, successful singer or dancer or actor or... You know, like and go really into that path, or am I going to go down academia and just do that? And so that was a very difficult decision to make because obviously that pivoted the way in which my life was going to go down. And I literally sat down and did a pros and cons list. That's my favorite thing to do when I have to do a tough decision because I can be genuinely honest and it's based off facts rather than feelings and all emotions and all of that sort of stuff. Um, because I can add that, I can attach the feeling of working for, with the, the AFL. Like that feeling is something that I can't describe, you know, and it's the same sort of feeling as what it's like for me to have my own business. Like as much as there's a bit of fear, there's so much excitement that's, you know, alongside that. So a lot of the time I sit down, I do a pros and cons list. I really kind of narrow it down to what's really right for me. And then I do it based off my feeling. And I don't think there's any other process to my madness. Other than that, it's just like, am I happy? And if I'm not happy, it's not worth it. I don't know if that yeah. helps.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, the, the old classic pros and cons list. Um, yeah.
2: It's an OG. I, like... I think everyone's going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel simple but effective.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like I make a pros and cons list, but then it's like, how can I describe like what if there's just as many pros as cons? So how do you decide where you make the middle. It's a tough one. Uh, You're going to have I, more uh,
2: pros than cons. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's got that many cons, then you probably shouldn't be. Then why happy. am I doing that? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I did something similar once, but I tried to like attach a number to each item, like to give it like a weighting, like how important is this pro or how important is this con? Mm. So then it kind of gave me like a bit of a you know, weighted for for and against.
2: That's a very analytical way of doing it. it. I like it.
1: Yeah. I feel like <laughs> yeah. I will
2: probably <laughs> that. Like, what about if I do business with them? Like, I'll wait. The, I don't mind that, actually. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we can chat offline if you need some processes and, fr- yeah. and matrixes and frameworks and all that. Right. <laughs> I'm
0: here for
1: it. <laughs> we love frameworks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, we do. We've come up with a few uh, sports grad pyramids for our own methods of doing things in the past, so... Um Bianca, we touched on it just before, but, you know, it's one thing to think of a decision and another thing to actually go through with it. And then when you apply it, uh, your context to it where these decisions that you're making are career-related and, and your livelihood is at stake, you know, the stakes are incredibly high, from the outside, it seems like you do have this, like, incredible level of courage and conviction with what you do. So I'm, I'm interested to know, does does doubt ever seep in? And if so, how do you deal with it?
2: Um, absolutely. I. There is so many times that I've had imposter syndrome. It's actually a joke, like, um, especially even last year, just sitting there being like, am I the right person to be here? Like, what did I, <laughs> you know, I, I am sitting next to all of like, you know, pinch me moments where you're sitting next to literal experts of the game and you're like, yeah, how am I here? What did I do? Um, but it doesn't disregard the fact that I work hard and that I do know what I'm talking about and that every week I was showing up I was doing three times more work than I ever have done because I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. But in saying that like since since I moved back here in September last year, you know, after I finished up with Yokai in October, I really had to sit down and ha- and make those tough decisions like am I going to work for someone again? Am I just going to fully do my own thing? What does that look like? And there was a very long period of time where I felt like I lost myself a fair bit uh, in the last year and it just, you know, I just didn't feel happy anymore. I was just like really confused on what that purpose looks like. Like, was that for someone? Um, And like I'd mentioned, I'd learned so many lessons prior. Like, why do I want to learn those things again? And then once I kind of made the pivoting decision to go into Agent Black everything kind of fl- fell into place, like the right people, right time, you know, all of my knowledge just easily kind of came out when I was writing, you know, all of my plans and sorting all of that sort of stuff out. But a big one was like, when I was launching it, I was like, oh my gosh, are people going to think I'm the wrong person to do is like, all of these thoughts. Uh, so I don't think there's a time where I don't, not necessarily always doubt myself, but there is times where I do feel like there is that imposter syndrome that does seep in and it does give me a bit of like, I get a bit of a freak out sort of mode, but how I deal with it a lot of the time is like breathing. Like a big one is just like actually sitting, being with myself, understanding my thoughts is a massive one because it's like, am I, am I this feeling or am I just feeling it? Like, am I sad or am I just like feeling sad in this moment? Do I need to let that pass through? And so a lot of the time when I feel like there's that doubt, I'm like, I remind myself, I'm like, oh, you do realise that you have a couple of degrees. You do realise that you've worked about across multiple industries. You do realise that you have X, Y and Z experience. So a lot of the time I just become my own hype up. Like I will watch a certain video of someone else that has failed Time and time again, and like succeeded. You know, there's a reason why we have massive people across the world. There's a reason why there is the greatest of the greatest, and it's not because they didn't fail. It's because they failed, they got up, and they kept going. So, a lot of the time, that's just what I do. I'm just like, if that doubt kind of comes through, I'm just remind myself of who I am and my purpose and why I need to be there or why I'm on this journey. And if if it doesn't add up, I just again, I head off, I leave. <laughs> Get out of the situation.
0: <laughs> what a, what a policy! <laughs> just yeah. Like, yeah, that that reminds me. I am um, speaking of videos when of watching people fail. I have this video that Tyson Fury created uh, about when he like went off the rails and just you know became two hundred kilos, did you know drugs and alcohol every day, and just became like humongous. I encourage every, every listener to watch this video. I'll try and get a link, and it does. It goes through the process of like him going back, and then I think he won a world title or something after that. Um, but that that it's a video that I would encourage when people are feeling a little bit like they can't do something. That's the one. It's a good
2: Absolutely.
0: video. Absolutely. For those who aren't
1: UFC fans, Ryan, do you want to no. explain who Tyson <laughs> Tyson Fury is? Fury is
2: a,
0: he's a boxer. <laughs> He's a, a boxer. Well, there you yeah, go. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, explain anything. Pretty, pretty huge heavyweight bald fella. Yeah, but I'd recommend it. It's a good video. That's
2: a good one. I love it.
0: Love it. I used to,
1: um, I used to watch replays of Cadell Evans' 2011 Stage 21 time trial, where he came back from a minute and a half down against Andy Schleck to win the Tour de France. That was my, that was my pump up video. <laughs> yeah.
0: Another I one I've it. got is the 2012 grand final montage that AFL 360 put together. It's uh, yes. Sydney Hawthorne. <laughs> I don't go one. for any teams, but it's it's the one where um when Cyril and Lewis Jetta had that race on the side of the field, yeah. Yeah. unreal video, great montage. But it's funny how videos and music can kind of just pull us out of these little Dark situations, isn't it? We, we could yep. probably go on for hours about what videos <laughs> we would watch, but we better not.
2: Uh, we'll connect
0: not. <laughs> offline about them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, perfect.
0: Bianca, do, do you recall any sort of pivotal conversations that you've had at times when you've had a big career decision to make or you've had a, a huge, you know, a moment in, in your career that you need to work out? And is there anyone that you have turned to in the past and, and what questions did you ask to basically navigate through, you know, trying to make a huge decision?
2: It's interesting because I'm the sort of person that will kind of speak out what I'm thinking to mates. I'll just, you know, kind of sit there and like, am I? it's that sort of classic like, am I gaslighting myself or am I not? Like, is, is this a real thought or is it okay for me to feel like this sort of thing? And I tend to just have a bit of a conversation and it tends to be just like a bit of an open conversation with my mates. And then what will end up happening is that I'll literally sit and like decide by myself what that decision is and not really tell anyone and then do it. And then all of a sudden they realize I'm in a new job or I'm somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I tend to be quite silent about my moves uh, for intentional reasons. There are people that want to see you fail and there are people that want to see you succeed. You tell the people that want to see you fail things will happen. Uh, and, and it's sad to think like that. But at the same time, realistically, my opinion to me matters a lot. And it's not like I don't sit there and ask for opinions and stuff, but I'm the only person that really knows what's right for me. And what other people's experiences uh, and ideas can be valid for you. And, you know, you could resonate, I suppose, to different stories and opinions and, you know, amazing people that you look up to or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with you and your decisions. Everyone else technically can be optional. Uh, And that's the sad reality is that people will come into your life and will go from your life. And there are people that have been there through the transition periods across my career uh, who are no longer, you know, mates or no longer, people that I talked to but they were really supportive in those decisions my parents have always been very supportive and so as my siblings in these decisions and when I am making these tough choices to leave like especially when I left Melbourne they were like just come home you know take some time figure yourself out and you know you can go from there but yeah I'm the sort of person that will actually try to as much as possible make the decision for myself. I don't know if that helps or if that's like a selfish way of thinking, but no. Well, I, I think <laughs> uh
1: I think the the really good part is that you are having those conversations yeah. naturally with the people that you normally talk with. It's not a big thing to for you to feel like I've got a decision to make. I need these questions answered, therefore I should go to that person. Like yeah. that kind of <clears throat> adds to the significance of the decision and probably can create more overwhelm. Whereas for you, it's just like. I'm chatting with these people. This is what 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 is on my mind. This is what's important to me right now. It's just gonna come out naturally. They feed you back their input, you go away, process it, make a decision, keep going.
2: Yeah. It's that sort of thing where it's like when you come to your mates with a problem, and it's like, like I tend to when my mates wanna to come to me with a problem or something like that, I'm like, do you want me to give you advice or do you just wanna rant? Because like happy to like sit here, hear you out, don't care. I won't give my opinion. I'm just someone that will listen to you and validate you as, you know, someone to have a discussion with. Or if you actually want advice from me, then I'm going to be, I'm a very straight out person when it comes to advice. Like I, a lot of my mates know not to come to me unless they really want something that's blunt with empathy. I am a very caring person, but I'm also very straight to the point. Um, and they know that. So they will only come to me when they want that direct hit of, but going to tell me straight. But yeah, I think it's important because when we're having these discussions, you actually kind of start to realize, hey, it's not that uncommon and my mates are going through this too. And it's okay to express these thoughts and feelings and to have that safe environment to do so because not a lot of the time you feel like you can do that in the workplaces, um, which I encourage people to if they feel safe to do those. But if you don't, having someone else outside of the scenario, not knowing all of the things, they can kind of give a bit more, I don't know, judgment that you might want to hear or, yeah, but it's it, It's something that I've had to learn across time because when I allowed people to give me opinions, I took them on and then I made the wrong decisions for me. And that's where I learned that lesson where I had to do it myself.
1: I was, I was just going to ask, where does that sort of independency come from?
2: Look, I think it's from both my parents, to be honest. Like, they both met as teenagers. Like, mum was, I think, 15 and dad was, like, 17 or something when they met. So they were very young. They had to – they started a family very young as well. And so they had to make a lot of decisions together but also individually to support us as a family and to kind of get there. And so for me, I'm also a middle child. Like, I have an older, bro- uh, older sister and a younger brother there's a big stigma around middle childs not being seen. It's a fact. Uh, so, you know, I would always... I'm
0: a middle child.
2: Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, why does the... why does the, Like my brother always got the attention. But anyways, that's another story. <laughs> and it's just that sort of thing where, yeah, I, I think because it was like that, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. And I think because I've always been the, the quirky, creative kid in the family, I just didn't really hesitate from putting myself out there even though people were trying to like hold me back from that I was just like no I just want to push myself I'm gonna try this I'm gonna do that um yeah because I get bored very easily which you can kind of tell with how much I talk
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you said to come to you if if anybody needs hardcore straight advice we've got a couple of hard to the point questions to to wrap up Bianca first one is What is the number one skill you wish you had when you were 20 years old that you've got now?
2: It's interesting because I feel like I had it. It's just I didn't know how to not control it, but how to use it at my best ability. And that's storytelling. It's something that's innate to my culture, which is pretty incredible to be a part of a culture that... The oldest storytellers in the world is something that not only I should be proud of and our mob should be proud of, but people across Australia should be proud of. And it's something that I didn't know how to necessarily tap into as much back then. Whereas now, especially from just like lived experience and growing up, a lot of the time when we ask, when I've asked elders for advice or you know, just asked a question, they will tell me a story rather than giving me an answer. And if you ever have the mentor or like even the coach philosophy, like when you're out and you're on a field or whatever, and you go off and you do a drill, your coach will pull you back in and say, Hey, what I really loved you doing was, you know, your intensity, how you got to the ball, whatever that is, what I want you all to do now is, you know, more accuracy or whatever it is, like, you know, they'll give you those things to work on. That's the coaching sort of way of things, whereas a mentor will, you'll go up to a mentor and ask them a question and they will come back to you with like another question or a story. So you have to figure it out yourself. And that's very similar to how I've learned. So when you ask me a question, I might not necessarily answer it straight away, but I might give a story. So it's still to the, it's still straight to the point. Um, But yeah, storytelling is my, my favorite.
0: There's a theme coming through tonight, and that is straight to the point. Uh, it's straight coming to the through point. loud and clear. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Bianca, to finish off um, our second hard hitting question, it's not, not that hard hitting, but just mm-hmm. quite to the point. And that is what's the number one thing you would tell your 20 year old self?
2: There's a lot, and I just think it's more when it comes to that. It's hard because I'm like I made the right choice at 20. I made the right choice to not invest in you know like not in in relationships and to focus on my career. And as much as that is hard, like that is a big sacrifice to focus on your career as a young person. But I know that a lot of advice that gets given to me from older people that aren't that much older than me, they're like, yeah, see, when I was 25. I was getting married, or, you know, all of the, and I'm like, yeah, your priority was a relationship. Your priority was getting married. My priority was working my butt off to not have to deal with that when I'm 30 and I want to have kids and I want to settle down and all of that sort of stuff. So, in terms of what I would say to my 20 year old self, is just keep going, keep believing in yourself and don't let anybody stop you from the path that you're on and, you know, the trajectory that you're on. Like, that's, I, I don't know. I believed in myself then and I believe in myself now. So, yeah, that's all I would probably say.
1: Brilliant. That's that's a very real and Gen Y answer. I feel like yeah. we've, we talked to a lot of older people and they yeah. give you different sort of angles more
2: know, related to different things.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is a yeah, very modern day answer.
0: I like it.
2: <laughs> I would hope so.
0: <laughs> a wise bunch. Anyway, well, Bianca, we might leave it there. Um, it's been absolutely awesome chatting to you and we appreciate you dialing in from the car. Um, it's been a good Look, chat. And-
2: soundproof, we're good. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think you've got an unbelievable studio going on there.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but, no, it's been great just hearing about your journey so far and, you know, you've got so many touch points over your career and your experience is just so great to listen to for a lot of people out there who you know, right now might not be sure what they want to do, but they can see the journey that some people go on. So um, we really appreciate you chatting to us and um, we hope to see you again soon.
2: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: righty, Well, that was an awesome chat with Bianca live from the car. I thought that's absolute uh, commitment, similar to what you put off a week ago, Rubes. Um, We're proving that you can pod from remote locations. So, anywhere you need to be, we can always do it. It's the medium of the future. It is. It is. So, what did you take away from Bianca there? That was absolutely awesome to chat to her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, she was sensational. And so, she's made a lot of big decisions, a lot of big calls. When you got to make decisions, you need some things to kind of hold on to that give you a reference point to be like, does this work for me or does this not? And so for Bianca, she knows very clearly what she needs to be happy at work. And so I think for people listening, one of the biggest things you can take away from Bianca is go away and figure out what you need to be happy at work, because then that gives you a reference point to make decisions from. Is this serving me? Is this not? Okay. Where do I go to from here? But I think having that framework of, what makes you happier? Work is a place that you can start
0: to make decisions from. Essential, to be honest. Like you got to figure that out. So I think that's mm. that's a key. Um, it just gives you confidence in what you're doing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, one that I, I sort of stood out for me was just how you know she, she sacrificed a fair bit to get to where she is right now, and she mentions when we when we spoke to her, you know, I gave up relationships when she was a young person and like that's totally fine but it's also important to recognize that sacrifice looks different for everybody who wants to get into sport it could be relationships it could be footy on the weekend it might be you know you can't play music or you can't do all sorts of things I mean hopefully you can but it does require some sort of sacrifice so that just kind of reminded me of that and you know for a lot of people out there they want to work in sports so much that there is that sacrifice that you have to make. So, it was a good story, really awesome. Definitely. Well, I think like for for people who are young, the
1: sacrifice is a choice. Whereas like for people who are in a job and a bit older, they kind of don't really have a choice. Like we talked with Christy Collier-Hill the other week. She doesn't really have a choice about whether she can go out for dinner and drinks with her friends because – her job as general manager of the Deacon Melbourne Boomers requires her to still be doing these things. Yeah. Whereas, when Bianca's growing up and when people coming through university are growing up, no one is saying to them, you have to be working right now. It's up to them to make that decision. So, I think you know, being conscious of the fact that you have to make a sacrifice at some point to allow yourself enough time to do the work to get to the level you want to be is a really critical point and Bianca is a perfect example of someone who's now enjoying the fruits of that sacrifice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, for those times when you might be feeling like you can't do something or you shouldn't be somewhere or you've failed and you want to get back up again, there's a great little segment in there that we spoke about, inspirational videos, and I'm just going to reel some off right now for those listening to get involved in. And they all involve sport, so here we go. I'll, I'll name three. There's one which is Tyson Fury. It's an inspirational video. I'm sure if you typed mm-hmm. into YouTube Tyson Fury inspiration, it'll come up. He's, he's a boxer, not UFC fighter. He's right? a boxer, not a UFC fighter. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is the 2012 Grand Final montage by AFL 360 or Fox Footy. Um, I would I would highly recommend the following three Grand Finals if you want a better one. If you want to be bored out of your brain, feel free, but. I wouldn't. And the third one, um, I don't like to pump this man up because everyone knows who this man is, but Conor McGregor also has some really good inspirational videos on YouTube. And there's a bit of a martial arts theme, isn't there, to those three roots? But yeah, there's... I'm starting to get a yeah. perception of you as a martial artist. <laughs> no, no, there's just three that are in the bank ready to go to at any moment should we need some inspiration. So... Yeah, enjoy all of those. I'm sure Rubes, you'll be you'll be watching those tonight in I'll bed, be no doubt. In. Um, all right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, that was awesome. Pretty happy walking away for that interview. Bianca was fantastic to speak to. So, thanks for listening to those at home. Um, hit us up on LinkedIn. My inbox needs a few more messages, Rubes. I know yours will be getting smashed at the moment because <laughs> um, you are the LinkedIn king. But Um, In all seriousness, get in touch with us if you want to chat through anything relating to jobs in sport, sport in general, any of the guests we've had, we'd love to chat to you. So, thanks for listening and we'll see you next
2: time.